Decades ago, writers, poets, artists, and intellectuals would meet in the cafes of Paris to discuss their work, their muses, and the world. And so too in the decades and years to come, we will need to come together to help build the future. We will need to learn from each other, as well as identify, navigate, and solve challenges using our collective intelligence. And most importantly, collaborate and co-create the future we are all building towards. What you're hearing right now is the sound of community. People coming together to share ideas, make connections, and find a place they can contribute and be supported in. They're participating in a People of the Metaverse Salon, a meeting of the minds where curious professionals from different industries come together to discuss their work, ask questions, and seek to overcome challenges. And most importantly, to fuel each other's inspiration. And trust me, there sure is a lot to discuss. This is the community I'm building, which will launch early next year. And while community is an overused term in today's world, I do believe fostering community is one of the keys to entering the Web3 and Metaverse space. That being said, it has to be done correctly, responsibly, and authentically. Welcome to the second season of Adweek's Metaverse Marketing Podcast. I'm excited to dive deeper this season into how the metaverse is changing our world, both on and offline. In this episode, we'll explore what it truly means to build a community and why it is such a hot topic in Web3 and the metaverse. What is it about new technologies that drives us to seek connection? There is a misconception there. You say, community, we have already had community since we have social media. No, we have not. We've kind of misused this word community for such a long time. A lot of people talk about building community, but not many people are really doing it. Sobeys Cayman is a bit of a Jill of all trades in this area. She has worked in the advertising, entertainment, and innovation sectors, building out brand strategies that go beyond just selling a product. She's been tracking the changing nature of online communities for a long time, and she's an authority in the space. We used to call our, you know, or we still do call our Instagram followings communities or, you know, our kind of Twitter followings communities. But they're not really because a community in its truest sense is this idea for peer to peer, you know, interaction and conversation. And you know, Instagram is very much still a broadcast medium. And the only way people can interact is kind of in the comments, but it's not particularly rich. And I think, again, with the advent of, um, you know, the pandemic, what was starting to happen is communities who were traditionally offline or even people who had never been part of them, but were desperate for a sense of belonging when we were all feeling so alone alone gravitated to um, you know platforms such as discord re-gravitated to old platforms such as tumblr and suddenly this idea of kind of virtual connected communities was reborn it's no surprise that the social distancing era of the covid 19 pandemic inspired people to look for community online humans crave connection and belonging and the internet proved to be an invaluable tool for supporting each other through a difficult time but the pandemic has not been the only force driving us towards online communities. Another factor is the nature of new technologies associated with the metaverse. In season one, we talked a lot about the metaverse and the exciting possibilities for merging our virtual and physical worlds. This season, we're adding a layer to the discussion by pulling in the principles of Web3 and how they will affect the future of the metaverse. 
So what is Web3? So in Web1, we saw early stages of Google come in. Um, They were putting data on the internet. And this is known as the read-only era, where you could go online and consume data on a device. Then Web2 came around, known as the read and write era. We saw Facebook come in, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Uber, where not only can you read data online, but now you can contribute your own content for other people to read. Now we're entering, or we're in, the Web3 era, which is the read, write, own space. This is Rene Russo, co-founder and co-CEO of Glow Labs, a customer loyalty system built on the blockchain. Everything in this space is, uh, is on the blockchain. So what that means is that people own their data, which leads into NFTs or non-fungible tokens. This is what excites me the most about Web3, is this NFT piece, where you know everyone's seeing NFTs right now as like pictures of monkeys and frogs and cats and whatnot. But if you look at the technology behind this non-fungible token, that's where the value is. You own this piece of data and you can do with it as you please. You can keep it to show off to your friends in your house. You can trade it for profit. You can lend it to a friend. You can sell it to a bigger company to use it as they please. And you really have true ownership of your data. And I think that is the most important part of the Web3 space. The metaverse could develop in many different ways, but the prevailing vision right now is a metaverse based on Web3 principles. The ideals of decentralization and personal data ownership are guiding metaverse developers to create platforms we'll be able to easily move between, carrying our digital property and data with us. This idea of a Web3 metaverse does contrast in some ways with the oasis of Ernest Cline's Ready Player One or the metaverse of Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, which were both virtual worlds controlled by a single entity. While a single centralized metaverse could happen, current thought leaders are encouraging the Web3 approach. In case you're still having trouble wrapping your mind around how the two ideas interact, Metaverse visionary Matthew Ball has another explanation. We interviewed him in the early stages of the production of Season 2 in January 2022, prior to the launch of his now bestseller, The Metaverse, and how it will revolutionize everything. I see them as inextricably linked, but nevertheless fundamentally different. And it's as follows. One way you can think about the metaverse is primarily from a technological perspective. And I often liken it to electrification or industrialization. Web3, conversely, is a little bit more about society or government. It's how we organize. And so we would not say that capitalism and electrification or communism and industrialization are the same process. However, we can fairly say that certain ways to organize advantage economic change, right? We generally believe that the process of industrialization was augmented by the free market, by democracy at large. And so if we think about the metaverse as a predominantly real-time rendered 3D environment, and we think of Web3 primarily from the perspective of database and systems architecture on user rights, on digital property, those two things are separate. What experiences we participate in and which rights are made available are different. However, just as capitalism advantaged 
industrialization, we can argue that the principles of Web3, which is more user-centric, more developer-centric, moderates the power of the platforms and the gatekeepers, is most likely to produce a thriving metaverse, much like we would say the West and all across the world, we benefit from the fact that there are tens of millions of businesses rather than just a dozen or so that manage take rates across the ecosystem. A Web3 metaverse empowers users to control their experiences online, just as they do offline. And with that control comes a desire to make meaningful connections and interact in authentic ways. Think about the communities you are a part of in your daily life. Do you feel closer to the friend who always monologues to you about their latest success at work? Or the one who actually asks you about yourself, seeks your advice, and offers their support? If you needed someone to water your plants while you were out of town, would you seek out your next-door neighbor who you've never spoken to, or the woman you meet up with regularly at the dog park, even though she lives a block away? Community isn't just about proximity or the length of time we spend with others. It's about the sense of belonging that comes from shared experiences and mutually supporting one another. Here's Charles Atkins, who has been part of the industry for a long time, and is currently a Web3 and Metaverse organizer, educator, and thought leader, explaining more. Community can be very overused because it is kind of a catchphrase right now that gets people excited. Um, I've always thought of community as something that revolves around activity, and that's why gaming has built so many robust communities because they're involved in an ever-changing world where they have something new to talk about every day. That's why Nike has a great community because people are involved in sports and athletics and that's a very ever-changing atmosphere for people to be a part of. Um, They cross all these boundaries, cross all these borders, and now we have this vast universe of different virtual lands where people can meet up, um, go through the activities that they enjoy, and really immerse themselves in what a community actually is and what it means. So. That's really what we kind of see in the future is a lot of virtual experiences and virtual activities that are making these communities extremely tight, even though they're not geographically near each other. Philip Rosedale has spent most of his career in the world of virtual community building. He needs no introduction, but just in case, he is the founder of Linden Labs, most famous as the creator of one of the first virtual worlds, Second Life. A fundamental attribute of Second Life is that it is not really a game. There are no stated objectives, no winning or losing. A Second Life user returns again and again simply because they want to exist and interact within that virtual world and within that community. I think this idea that Second Life is not a game, what I, what I really meant by that is sort of better captured by this question of, is Second Life solely for like escapist entertainment or is it for something else? And I've always believed in the something else. Um, I never really felt that what I was trying to build, especially based on my you know childhood and background coming into this, I wasn't trying to build something that was like entertaining or sort of lean back, if you will, right? Like a way to get away from your life and just, you know, veg and do something. And I think that some games, certainly not all, but some games and many of the sort of single player games are that kind of relaxing entertainment. Of course, we all need that sometimes. I would point out, though, that there's little evidence that it's possible to easily be kind of, and I think this is a good thing, to kind of veg out and be entertained when you're surrounded by other living people in a place. And so I think the social experience of virtual worlds, where it becomes more real and more more intense and more 
uh, present inevitably sort of takes us away from entertainment because we're always, when we're with other people, engaging with them in that more, um, you know, direct, uh, equal way. And I, and I think that that is both what Second Life is all about, and it's the promise of virtual worlds in the future, and it's a useful tool to look at, um, you know, is a software product or platform trying to entertain you, or is it trying to engage you, educate you, make you new friends, etc.? And I think that latter one is much more important, you know, that we be looking at as a species together. This impulse to build a community extends beyond just the virtual aspects of the metaverse. John Kraske and Charles Atkins were working together and they decided they wanted to expand their Web3 network and meet more people interested in the space. So they started building a community. It actually happened when Charles and I were working at NFT Genius. I started hosting these, these breakfasts centered around NFT and Web3 conferences. I just thought breakfast was a sort of a, a different entry point for people to, to build community. And I, I, just, I just saw an opportunity in the space. It's, it's so nascent to start really building community the right way. So I started hosting these breakfasts. The, 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 the feedback was tremendously positive. So Charles and I started talking about how can we do this even at a bigger scale uh, beyond just what I'm doing as an individual. So that's kind of how the seed of the idea of NFT Thought Leaders came about. Charles did literally one LinkedIn post saying, hey, if you're interested in being an ambassador or a sponsor or an attendee, let us know. And the response on that one LinkedIn post was insane. I think we got back, what, 20 or 30,000 emails? Right. So that's kind of how we started. And then from there, we realized, hey, you know what? We we can build out this global brand. John and Charles transformed their breakfast into a series of events and conferences initially called NFT Thought Leaders. And now, Good Morning Web3. A significant topic at the events is NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. We introduced what NFTs are and some of their uses last season. But as a reminder, an NFT is a unique and non-interchangeable unit of data stored on a digital ledger, such as the blockchain. They can be used to establish ownership of digital assets or as proof of having done something. As John Kraske explains, brands can also use NFTs to engage with the community around their products. NFTs are much more than cartoons. Obviously, that's what's received most of the hype and press over the past year with Board of Yacht Club and CryptoPunks. But the real exciting thing about NFTs is how they're going to be able to level up the customer and brand experience. I use this example a lot, but I'm the biggest fan in the world of Soho House and a big advocate for how NFTs could transform their customer experience by selling NFTs to unlock an elevated tier of benefits, whether that's access to private events, perhaps a lifetime membership, or even tracking member spending and being rewarded with loyalty points for the amount of money you spend. It's kind of crazy, but currently they don't even track individual member spending. And it seems like a missed opportunity to reward super users like myself. And I think NFTs really can solve that issue. At the end of the day, NFTs are gonna be able to really increase the stickiness between the brands and their communities of customers. So I'm really excited to see what kind of solutions start entering the marketplace. The excitement John references around NFT art is actually what inspired Bex Perfect to jump into the Web3 world and discover the potential of communities. After reading an article in the paper about NFT art, she decided to create a YouTube channel called Nifty World, 
where she talks with creators and investors to educate herself and others about NFTs. As someone who closely tracks NFT news, Bex has seen the influence community has on a project's success. You know, I think a project can live and die by the strength and the sentiment of the community. And that can go all the way up until the last 10 minutes before that project mints. If some sentiment changes within a community, think, you know, you could like not sell out or you could not sell any of your NFTs. And what I think is really important and the way I always kind of talk about community with the NFT space is that it gives you that kind of sentiment um, understanding of, of what your other wallet holders are thinking and you have people to kind of bounce off of and that is different to investing in different areas like stocks and shares or even cryptocurrency because it takes that kind of siloed feel of investing and brings it out into something that is much more group focused and community focused and it allows the founders as well of those particular communities to be much more accessible to you. Um, I always use this kind of um, analogy when it comes to community and what founders should do to really um, work harder for their community. You should think of it in this way. If I was investing in a stock, uh, say Microsoft, for instance, I could never phone up Bill Gates and ask him what's the plan for the next six months but the power of the NFTs and the power of the community and the founders behind that and we take something like World Women as an example they hold you know incredible community projects incredible opportunities to um, you know to speak to their community and that's the difference is you can speak to the founders of an NFT community and and really get to grips with what it is that they are going to do for you as a wallet holder. And I think that's incredibly unique for the NFT and the Web3 space. One of my favorite people in the Web3 and Metaverse world is Randy Zuckerberg. She had a front row seat to the development of Web2 during her time at Facebook. And she is now passionate about bringing fresh voices into the development of Web3. When personally advising NFT founders and collections started to become unsustainable, she and co-founder Debbie Soon launched Hug a community for Web3 creators. In her time managing the Hug community and advising others, she has seen the distinctive back and forth of Web3 projects. What's so unique about it from anything else that I've ever worked on is that uh, you build alongside your community. So there's complete transparency and uh, it means that your community is going to weigh in on everything that you're doing. Um, there are great things about that in that uh, you get real-time feedback every single day on how you're doing building the business and leading. Um, it, it can also get a little distracting at times, uh, um, managing the community while trying to run a business. And I think that's probably one of the most interesting and unique skill sets that a leader in Web3 needs is that not only do you need to be a great entrepreneur, but you also need to be an incredible community manager. G-Money has first-hand experience building a community through NFTs. On January 5th, 2021, he purchased a CryptoPunk NFT for 140 ETH. That was roughly $170,000 at that time. The next day, he tweeted about this purchase, generating a flurry of attention for the NFT market, as well as G-Money's perspective on the power of ownership and exclusivity in the digital world. Instead of simply broadcasting his thoughts through traditional Web2 platforms like Twitter or podcasts, G-Money started building a community around himself through NFTs. A way for me to kind of really tokenize my community that was already naturally building around me. I, uh, and I wanted to do it in a very organic way because 
I figured that whatever it is that I was doing would have a lot of demand for it regardless. Um, so, you know, what I ended up doing was I was handing out POAPs to people as I met them over the past year. And those people were put on an allow list that allowed them to mint uh, the NFT for free to become a member of my community. A note here, a POAP is an NFT proof of attendance protocol, basically a digital badge saying I did this thing or I was here. So for those still rooted in the physical world, just hypothetically imagine meeting G-Money, and then he hands you a business card inviting you to connect with him. But the business card is entirely digital, and it gives you future access to his NFT community at Mint One. And basically, you know, you know what, what I'm trying to do with Mint One is I'm trying to create a community of like-minded individuals that uh, believe in the Web3 ethos, that want to build, that want to make uh, the world and the internet like a better place uh, that's free for everybody. And this is my way of kind of bringing them along for the ride, making sure that they're there uh, on the projects that I'm a part of and that I'm working on going forward. Admit One is a good example of the difference between Web2 and Web3 communities. On Twitter or LinkedIn, someone like G-Money can post updates about their projects and engage in short dialogues. But a project like Admit One allows all members of the community to interact equally and share in exclusive experiences. Despite being the founder of one large Web3 community, G-Money still seeks out other communities to participate in. I think I join, I'm a member of different communities for different reasons. And I think just like in the real world, right? Like just because you like a certain sports team doesn't necessarily mean that that's like, that encompasses your entire life, right? Like you could like, you know, be, a, you could have a favorite baseball team and then also like pasta, right? And like, you could be members of two different groups for those reasons. So like, to me, it's just, it's not really a, you can only be a member of this or that. Like there's going, you're going to be members of a, a ton of different communities, just like you are in the real world. Many of the people I talked to for this podcast emphasize that idea of seeking experiences online that feel familiar to the physical world. This is something I find especially compelling about the metaverse. Despite some of the science fiction sounding possibilities, many of the technologies being developed are centered on making the virtual world feel more human. You know, I have this saying that uh, unfortunately I was born too late to you know, jump on a ship and discover new lands and discover the world. And I was born too early to jump on a spaceship and discover the universe, but I was born just in time to discover each other. Uh, and that's what this side of community does is I think this is such an important moment for humanity. Um, and I know that that feels very touchy feely and I'm a very pragmatic, technically minded person, but I, this is, this is my soapbox. Uh, these platforms allow people to enter a space and find like-minded people. Now, that's a very important caveat is not similar people, right? But like-minded people. You remove all the preconceived notions of a person and you know them as personality first. You may meet them in real life later. And I have many times. I've got great friends who the first time I met them was maybe in like VR chat, which is one of the like destinations for like meeting new people. So I've met a lot of people on that platform, a lot of like-minded people, a lot of creators, a lot of people who want to see this technology grow. 
we've built fun games together and then we've met in person later and i've always been astonished of the things i didn't know about the person because i didn't need to right um your race gender sexuality all of that stuff goes kind of out the window because you're talking about something that is about your personality right it's not a, you have no none of these preconceived notions and i think that that's so important um that's why these communities are growing that's why these communities are building those are the areas where when you see it play out when you start making real friends that stay as your friends in the long run uh you start realizing why this technology is important our virtual identities allow us to connect with communities of like-minded people and technologies like wearables are unchaining us from our desktop screens. Haptic technology is eliminating the need for controllers or a mouse, and natural language processing is allowing us to actually talk with computers like we would another person. As Lee describes, the virtual is becoming more real. I personally really love virtual reality because I can remove my current reality and go see some friends, and I actually have that experience of seeing them. It's not just playing an online game, but if I'm playing a VR game like Demio, which uh, is kind of a Dungeons and Dragons board game with three other of my friends, and we're actually sitting around this virtual table, whether it's real or not, the experience is real. It's realer than sitting in my office space, looking at a flat screen, talking to them in headphones, feeling like it's a phone call. It's no longer that phone call, you're there. With all these opportunities for more authentic experiences in the virtual world, it only makes sense that we are leaving behind the parasocial relationship of Web 2 and seeking real opportunities for connection in Web 3. Philip Rosedale has already seen how new generations are changing their expectations. I think the challenge of going from uh, hanging out with your friends in, say, Discord or playing Fortnite with your friends is one is one step and then there's this next step which is establishing relationships with new people and having the right interplay there and i think that's the one that we need to all be thinking about together the younger generation demands an authenticity in communication that leads them when they're when they're when they're hanging out with their friends to often uh kind of not be willing to be avatars in fact i've said this before that i'm struck by how younger people are actually, I think, less likely to want to, say, uh, show up in a place, let's say, like Facebook's uh, Horizons, which we've seen so many demos of lately. I think that younger kids are even less likely to be willing to be, say, a cartoonish avatar than older people, which is a fascinating kind of a, 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 a backwards thing relative to, I think, what a lot of people or older people think. So I like wondering about how... Uh, the young, youngest generation will demand that authenticity and how they're going to get, you know, the machinery, the online technology to serve them in that way. This demand for authenticity is going to have a huge impact on which brands are able to succeed in the metaverse. In later episodes, we will explore the rise of new commerce models as well as new customer journeys, which are linked more than ever before to connecting with individuals and their unique interests. In the coming weeks, months, and even years, as you hear about the Metaverse and Web3 projects, pay attention to which ones emphasize interaction beyond just promotion and superficial engagement. Look for the communities that you actually want to join, the ones that inspire you to share with your friends and even make new ones. These connections are what will make the Metaverse more real. Because in the Metaverse, we are all world builders, 
And now is your time to build. And one of the ways you can build is through building community. 